It's the lens, it's the lens, it's the lens, gotta live diverse. It's the lens, it's the lens, it's the lens, live diverse. You are listening to The Lens Living Diverse, a podcast brought to you by the CNIB Advocacy Team. Join Nisha and I as we talk to guests with intersecting identities along with sight loss as they share the unique stories. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Lens Living Diverse. And I am one of your hosts, Ben. And I'm your host, Nisha. I'm very excited for today's episode for sure. We got a really awesome episode with a special guest, a special guest definitely known throughout the sight loss community, uh, the one and only Kamini. I, I feel like we need like intro music. Yay. I, yeah. How are you doing <laughs> today, Kamini? Very well. Thank you for having me here. Excellent. And uh, this is a great episode because we're going to be talking about um, living abroad with sight loss. And this mm-hmm. is a topic that's not really brought up too much you know what I mean I totally agree yeah yeah so you're gonna incite us with your experience and we're gonna also share as well so Kamini we're gonna start it off by asking you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and the intersectionality and or the intersecting identities that you hold oh boy what can I talk about myself (laughs) (laughs) all right so I guess I should um, start with maybe describing myself a little bit. I am um, a West Indian from Guyana, ethnic background um, is uh, East Indian. I um, came here in 2001 with my family and it's been a real interesting journey so far. It must have been a really big culture shock or even a weather shock when you got oh my here. God, yeah. <laughs> Everything was a shock. The whole lifestyle, whether it was the weather or the culture, everything. I <laughs> I didn't want to be here. <laughs> and the funny thing is, when we came, I did not realize because I was a kid, right? I was only 11, close to 12. I didn't realize at the time that we were moving here to live. I was thinking, oh, we're going to visit for a couple of weeks and I'll be back home. Nope, that didn't happen. Can you imagine? <laughs> Just be like, yo, we're going to visit Canada. <laughs> Next thing you know, it's all your stuff's there. And you're still like uh, getting there. So I, I even got to ask you, just out of curiosity, did you come during the winter? <laughs> um, no, I came in the fall, at the end of September. So it was starting to get cold by then, but not quite winter yet. Mm, yeah, okay. At least you didn't come from like two contrasts where it's like nice <laughs> weather in Guyana and then boom like you're in the winter seasons so what was it like growing up in Guyana with sight loss and was there or were there any um, resources or services available to you while you're in school or just getting around and, and you know being a kid so I mean <clears throat> I would say I had a pretty happy childhood mostly because of my friends but when it came to sight loss there is um, first I should say I came I didn't come from the main city which is Georgetown I came from a small village which is pretty small you have probably a few hundred people in one village 
and there is no literally no resources there for people with sight loss or in fact people with any kind of disability and in terms of life there when you have a disability and in my case visually impaired um i there was no expectation for me there was no resources i couldn't go to school I, they tried to put me in school for a few months, but the teachers had no idea what to do with me. I just sat there and pretty much just made friends and talked to my classmates. <laughs> but yeah, there is, um, and as far as I know, it's kind of still like that today too. There really isn't any resources in that area of the country where the villages are. So I couldn't, I didn't get an education until I came here. I learned everything from the beginning when I moved to Canada. So, I mean, being in school, they didn't teach you how to read. They weren't teaching how to write. None of, none of that because of your sight loss. Did, it, did they attempt to do anything? I think they um, attempted a little bit. They would um, try to sit with me for a few minutes and do a little bit of spelling or try to get me to write something but I guess they didn't like the way I did it or they didn't think I could do it because they have no training, right? They have no idea how to deal with someone with sight loss or any kind of disability. So they had no idea how to go about even teaching someone. They just wanted to see what I knew Mm. and I didn't really know anything and they didn't know how to teach me. So I just sat there most of the time. I know coming, well, I don't come from Trinidad. My parents are Trinidadian and I know when I've reached out to them to find out uh, what it's like there, they've said, oh, you know, kids or adults with sight loss, they just go into programs and they make uh, they make baskets every day. But there was or there is an organization uh, in Trinidad for people with sight loss. There's nothing like that in Guyana. So I found out, I think about eight years ago, that there is there is an organization called the Guyana Society for the Blind in the main city of Georgetown that's been there for decades and decades, but I had never heard of it because Mm -hmm. I don't live near the city or in the city. So I'm finding there is some things now or even back then, but it's only within a small area of the country. But Mm -hmm. what about everybody else? Nobody else knows that these things even exist. So there was a small amount Mm -hmm. of people that even learned braille and got educated and when I hear about these people I'm like wait a second how and when did you learn that we had no idea that that even existed there Mm -hmm. and a lot of people still don't unfortunate yeah it is and it's very interesting because we look at here in Canada or even North America and we have people who are specialists when it comes to individuals with sight loss or blindness or partial sight. And looking back at Guyana and your experiences, were those people specifically trained or was it just, here's a person living with a disability, let's get them through school? Um, I don't, as far as I know, I don't think anybody was really trained in terms of uh, teachers I'm what I've also heard is that some of these people that try to teach people down their disability they're not 
Guyanese, they've come, they came from overseas. Mm. So for example, maybe the States or maybe England, a couple of people went there through different organizations to um, teach people. And that's how some of those people got to learn some things and got some sort of education. That's that's actually an interesting dynamic, eh? Like, yeah. Yeah, it almost adds that kind of power imbalance where it's already like, okay, not even your own people uh-huh. are teaching you. We have to bring in other people to teach a person who's a citizen of Guyana. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, wow, that blows my mind. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> my goodness. And it's just definitely interesting. And I feel like I'm going to put this out into the world right now for the listeners. Guyana, Ghana, that's where my parents are from, Ghana. Not Guyana. <laughs> and, and my friend Kamini is not from Ghana. So it's in the Caribbean. I'm West African. My parents are West African. So Don't worry. It's, it's very interesting where I find that uh, in Ghana, it, I don't believe it was like services, like what I've heard and what my parents, when they described sight loss, it was the fact that you would you would stay home, right? And mm-hmm. I believe now, similar to what you're saying, Kamini, in uh, the city, the big city of uh, Accra in Ghana, that's where they mm-hmm. have the blind school. Yeah. And I'm so curious one day, I, what I want to do is go to Ghana and actually visit and see how they're different from us and how they they tend to their services, right? Well, I guess they've come a long way, or I guess <laughs> at least halfway, because yeah, you're right. We were not expected to have a life. When you have a disability, you're just expected to stay at home and live with your family, not even get married, not have children, nothing. Not go to school. You're just expected to stay home with your family for the rest of your life. And that's yeah. pretty much it. Is that how your family <laughs> treated you? Uh, when you were growing up in Guyana, did they tell you to stay indoors and you couldn't run around and play or they were really, they really sheltered you and made you feel different or were they open and they were like, you know, explore, have fun, be community. Like, how was it like growing up? So I was, um, I was definitely allowed to go out and explore and have friends, but just, um, just in the villages, but because I didn't, um, and also having a sheltered life as well. But because my parents, they're not like highly educated people. They're mostly, mm-hmm. they come from farming backgrounds. So they're farmers because they didn't know a lot. They didn't know what exactly to do with me. But in terms of the expectation, I wasn't expected to do much with my life. Their thinking was that when I grew up, I was just going to live at home with them and be safe and protected it was more of a protecting thing because they didn't know how to go about getting me the assistant that um, I needed or I should get but I was allowed to play and go around the village and um, yeah I had quite an adventure riding bikes climbing trees and all that I was able to play like a normal child and that's why earlier I said my childhood was pretty fun but yeah, other than that, there wasn't much more to do. Yeah, I could totally imagine. I could imagine community just jumping from tree to tree and just like <laughs> being a wild child. Exactly so. what I did. <laughs> no, no. And I, I'm going to even tend this question to you, Nisha. And I know that you were Canadian born, but is there any stories that you hear 
as well back in Trinidad when it comes to kind of the schooling or people who are growing up? I know you mentioned the weaving program, but is yeah. there anything that your parents or family members shared with you because of that? No, uh, not really, actually. It's just, I just remember when I was going on my sight loss journey and my aunt, my mom reached out to my aunt in Trinidad and was like, well, what do they do there? And that's when the basket weaving program came up. But um, in terms of education, no, she has never, um, no one has ever said anything to me back home about uh, what happens to individuals with sight loss in the school system. But uh, there's one podcast that I, I listened to a gentleman from Trinidad um, who chronicles his life uh, through his podcast. And he was saying that there's quite a, a few, there's a lot of people in Trinidad with sight loss, but you never see them. And it's because they tend to be at home. Uh, their parents or their family just keeps them um, secure inside for, for state safety reasons, because I don't know if, if Kamani could relate to this, but roads in Trinidad are very, well, they're back. <laughs> you know, not everywhere is there a traffic light. Um, you know, the sidewalk is not leveled with uh, the, the road. So it's, it's not really the safest. And in a lot of communities, there are no sidewalks. There are There is no proper pedestrian infrastructure. So people are just worried that, you know, walking with your cane, that's not really going to help you. You could walk right into the road. So you tend to just stay at home and, and be with your family. And if you need to go somewhere, you're always going with somebody. And if you are going with somebody, you're probably not using your cane if you need one. And it's interesting with that, because it's like, even if you're holding a cane and as adventurous as you are and as uh, exploratory as you want to be, it, it's just purely dangerous because no one's going to like stop. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know if you found this in Guyana, if you could fill us in Kamini, but you're holding your cane, you're crossing the streets. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's going to be like, oh, he has a cane or she has a cane. Like I'm going to be careful. Maybe people might, right? Yeah, no, Nisha's completely right about the infrastructure there. Unfortunately, it's like that in a lot of country down there. And Guyana is the same way, especially in the villages area. In the countryside, there is literally no traffic light. There's just one road. And sometimes the roads, some of the roads are not even paved. You're just walking on plain dirt. So mm -hmm. it's just either you have some pavement, some road, and some grass. So it, <laughs> it's not the safest. She's right. A lot of people just stay indoors because it's just really hard to get around without somebody because infra infrastructure is just not there. It's just not really safe to walk around. They don't have all the things, not even half the things that we have here. It's interesting because I would like to go to Trinidad maybe next year and that will be my first time going since losing my sight. And I've had wow. family members say to me, don't use your cane. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, it's not going to matter. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> so unfortunately, <laughs> this is the thing. Some people are not going to like this, but because of people's mentality down there, they're just close-minded mm -hmm. enough that they don't want you using your cane because people are 
are going to look at you funny or look at them funny because mm. it's basically you're, you're supposed to hide your blindness. It's because it's shameful, it's embarrassing, and they don't want people to know about it, unfortunately. And it's like, well, why? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. we don't have a problem with it we are trying to live life out here but going back to let's say you're walking outside with a cane and whether somebody's gonna help you or not yes they'll come up to you and say why are you outside go home mm-hmm. go inside you should be home you should be inside you should be out here mm-hmm. they just don't really want you to be seen and especially if your disability is visible and having a white cane just plainly tell people you can't see and they don't want people knowing that. Well, even an aspect or a dynamic to that too, maybe potentially it could be safety too, right? It is, because, yeah. Yeah, because even like we sometimes abroad, people are not as educated in a certain sector and they see someone blind or partially sighted, they assume like, okay, this is a target. You know what I mean? Like I could maybe perhaps take it away or rob or something you know what I mean so yeah exactly yeah maybe that's where the belief systems come from for the people family members like you're gonna get hurt or you're gonna get robbed so because once they see you with a cane or with a disability you're vulnerable right now right Mm -hmm. so anybody can take advantage so that's another big thing there because people do steal they do try to take advantage and that's just the thing that happens and they try to protect you from that as well yeah it's interesting because the people who are multi-generational canadians and i remember working at a, a blind school and having a conversation with one of my students and he was making mention like oh like for the school (laughs) The school that I'm in, it's like a jail, like da-da-da-da, we, we can't do much. And I remember I was like, oh, you you folks are very, very, very lucky, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> to have yeah. these resources. And I guess that kind of amalgamates into the next question and the behaviors and attitudes towards people with sight loss abroad. And I guess we, we touched base with that for sure. But uh, Disha, I'm going to throw this to you. Like, what are those for those people who are Canadian and haven't really seen that perspective of people born abroad to say loss? So um, from what I've been told, from what I understand, because I'm really excited to to go to Trinidad because I just want to test out walking in the streets with my cane. <laughs> oh, no, you don't want to go to Ghana? You don't want to go to Guyana? You don't I, I would go there. I would go anywhere. I don't want to travel. <laughs> I would go anywhere. I just want to test it. I just want to whip out my cane and see what happens and see what people what people do, <laughs> what kind of response I, I, I get. Um, but actually, I'll give this example. I just recently came back from the Dominican Republic and um, I stayed on a resort with family, but we did do a couple of excursions and I used my cane while out in those excursions. And I have to say, I wasn't, from what I could tell, and I, and I asked my family, they, I wasn't given any looks. Um, no one was like, oh, she has a cane, you know, or uh, uh, some things were said to my family, but they were from other visitors from the States. Like they would ask, oh, what happened to her eyes? Or they would even ask me what happened to my eyes. But no one um, 
who lived in Dominica, from what I could tell, Dominican Republic, who I interacted with, said anything about me. They were very helpful. I remember being on the resort and um, trying to find my way and using my cane because I'm by myself. And some of the resort attendants, um, they helped me. Um, and then there was one point where I was getting on a boat and I had to put my cane away and the guy was telling me, come, come, come. And I was trying to tell him I couldn't <laughs> see <laughs> because he didn't speak English. What? what? So I just took my eyes, I took my hands and I covered my eyes. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, and, he, and he helped me. But I, I mean, I was only there for a week. I, I mean, if I was out more in the city, maybe I would have encountered, you know, different kinds of responses but attitudes seem pretty they seem pretty okay in terms of coming from Trinidad um, I think my family is very open a lot of them have studied or in Canada and gone back to Trinidad so I think their perception of of sight loss is a bit is a bit different um, but like I was saying earlier, the attitudes to a lot of people with sight loss is the need to protect them and shelter them mm. and keep them in, inside. And, and um, you know, so that's kind of how things are. But I have to agree with Kamini when she says that they'll probably be like, what are you doing out here? Why are you out <laughs> here by your-? And if you're by yourself, oh, that's another exactly. set of drama, you know? So I think um, it's that whole you know, it's not safe for all the reasons that you guys mentioned. And it shouldn't be that way. You know, I shouldn't be taken advantage of because I can't see, you know, that's not, that's scary. But, you know, the Caribbean is a, is a different beast altogether when it comes to crime, but that's a other topic for another day. <laughs> just the whole lifestyle in general, it's just very, very different from here. Yeah, definitely true. And I guess even jumping off of kind of Nisha's explanation, uh, Kabini, I'm going to throw this to you. Do you feel that, especially in Guyana, that it's getting better where people are starting to get more aware or people are more educated about sight loss? I think it's um, definitely true for certain parts of the country, especially the city, obviously, and surrounding areas of the city. But in like rural areas and countryside areas, it's still it's still not there. They still have a lot of improvements to make in that way, in whether it's education or just building awareness and um changing people's attitudes about certain things because it's, it's just not really talked about. And I feel like to make um, a real change, you have to be having those types of conversations and talking about those things openly. Mm -hmm. I agree with you completely. And I think on top of that is having that representation with sight loss to express to those communities, right? Because I almost feel, and I could be wrong, I, I'm, I'm open for anybody to be like, shut up, Ben, you're lying. <laughs> but I almost feel that uh, when people hear it in, and not even exactly their own language, but hear from someone who they could really connect with, they can relate to, it sounds a little different. So doing advocacy abroad and being like, here's me who lives in Canada, I have this cane, 
I'm thriving, right? And the people who have sight loss in your communities, they could be thriving too, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like it just needs to be seen. You know what I mean? At first, I, I thought you said totally I'm agree. driving. Sounds <laughs> like he's driving. Don't, You're driving. That, that's what wow. I'm gonna do. I'll be taking a picture with me driving with my cane and everything, and be like, "Yo, blind people could drive in Canada. You know that? No, so let your people drive." <laughs> so, no, I, I you have a, another question. Everybody's open to answer this as well. Uh, adjusting to Canadian culture from coming abroad. So. Is it on top of that, I guess the first part of the question is adjusting Canadian culture, but is there anything that you miss in Guyana just in general after coming to Canada? Of course, the weather. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't beat hot weather all year long. <laughs> but there's, yeah, no, no. there's no snow in Guyana? No, no. It's just hot all year <laughs> long. <laughs> You're kidding, right? <laughs> the day is those in Guyana is a day we should all be worried. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we should. But um, I think there are other parts as well that I miss because for me, it was a total change coming from a village to a city. Oh, my God. Because I had my own circle of friends there and I didn't find it hard to make friends. And I had more of a community feel there because you have all the neighbors and everybody you live like family and friends. And it was easier for me to make friends and go around the community. And I had more of a community feel. Whereas when I came here, I, I kind of just shut down because mm -hmm. nobody really taught me about how it was going to be here. And even after I came here, nobody really sits you down and explains the culture to you and kind of takes you out and shows you things. So I just kind of shut myself down and I just started thinking more negatively and going back to thinking about all the things that went wrong in my life before instead of all the happy times, which there was a lot of those. <laughs> so I... Yeah, every, it was just everything that was shocking to me. And it took a long time. I think it probably took, I would say, maybe 10 years for me to completely get used to Canada. And I even for a long time, I wanted to go back there and live because I just kept thinking about it and I was just happier there. But I tried going back and spending some time to see if that was a possibility. And it's not because I just, there was no way that I could, live there and have an independent life and as a woman and having an independent life there as a woman that's not really possible and I came back here and I said you know what I most of my family is here and I'm gonna try to get used to life here and move on and actually build a life here so I've just been really focusing on that for the past while but it took me a long time to adjust to um, the life here in Canada. Wow. So, yep. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot again. <laughs> what did you do differently when you returned after your, your trip to Guyana? I, I changed my attitude about things because I wanted to have a life. I said, I want to go out. I want to do things and I want to be able to live an independent life so whereas before I was just afraid of everything I was just afraid of everything I wouldn't come out of my room 
So when I came back, I decided I'm going to take O&M lessons. And at the time, I didn't know if I would really use it. But I said, I'm going to take O&M lessons and learn how to travel and learn how to get around my neighborhood and take some daily living skills, learn how to do more things at home, such as um, cooking and all that. And then it kind of just went from there. And slowly I started um, meeting friends or making friends and going out and socializing. And it kind of went from there I just decided that I can't stay locked up forever that's not really a life I want more out of life this is through the grapevine we're going to make it official <laughs> I hear that you're an amazing cook by the way uh, so, yeah, I, I heard it I, heard, I, don't know what, I, <laughs> I have my resources I have my sources so we for the listeners Kabini is an amazing cook she should have her own restaurant you know what I mean <laughs> well thank you <laughs> and amazing points that you brought up earlier when you did made mention that coming from Guyana and then coming to Canada you almost were you felt homesick right you very much felt culture shocked you even you as a, a woman and all those intersectionalities where it makes me wonder or not wonder, but it makes me look at the services provided as organizations that do deal with site loss. Sometimes we just look at these organizations or organizations or people providing services uh, like, okay, I'm just teaching Kamini about how to cook, or I'm just teaching Kamini on how to travel. But then they're forgetting that, that cultural aspect where it's like, I'm from Guyana. I want to learn how to cook traditional Guyanese food. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's just like, okay, we're just giving her the basics of let's teach her how to cook macaroni and cheese. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And do you, and I'm, I'm going to pass this uh, to yourself, uh, committee, and then I'm going to pass this to Nisha. So do you think like trading or awareness of kind of those outside factors need to be done when it does come to delivering these services? Um, yeah, I think they have tried to incorporate that because I, um, when I started uh, cooking lessons, for example, we would, yes, make Canadian uh, dishes, but then they would ask me about what we cook at home and if I wanted mm-hmm. to try making that. So they have tried to incorporate some of those things in it um, to get the cultural aspect as well so that you can cook the foods that you're used to eating at home as well. I think for me, um, I didn't get that. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, um, I I think it's because my trainer um, maybe wasn't aware of what kinds of techniques, like what kinds of, you know, food is um, customary of my background. Uh, so that was never asked of me. And when you're new to sight loss and you're and you're navigating the space, for me, I didn't think about that at first. I mm-hmm. I didn't think I could ask my my um my instructor, oh, can you teach me how to make curry shrimp or shrimp curry, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever <laughs> you know. And I remember even when it came to like I'm a, I'm a black woman with you know natural hair, and I, I wanted to know how to organize my hair care products and you know, 
women of color, we got a lot of hair products, you know? So yeah. <laughs> and my instructor just looked at the bin and was like scared, you know? And she didn't know what to do, where to start. And the same thing happened with the spices and our spice rack. Like we use a lot of different spices, a lot of different seasonings. And the person helping me was said to me, um, oh, you will have to get your family involved to, to organize this. Or maybe she's like, maybe just get your own separate cabinet away from away mm-hmm. from what they were using so there was kind of this you know separation trying to separate me in a way from not I don't want to say my culture but just trying to separate the difficulty of navigating that space or, or, or those spaces that pertained to my background and um, it just made me think that you know I've got to do things differently or I can't um I can't submerge myself in my in my roots the way I've I've been accustomed to doing so. And then the same thing with OM training. Um from from my background, having a cane is like, oh, you don't need it. Remember, we were saying before, you don't use a cane in, in Trinidad. Right. So what coming here, my family kind of adopted the same mentality. Oh, you don't need a cane, we'll help you, we'll take you, we'll guide you. And this look on my instructor's face was like, how could they do that to you? Why would they take away your independence? But you, it's what they've grown up knowing, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, instructors in this industry have to look at it as Ben was saying from all, from all angles. That yes, we have sight loss, but yet we're from the Caribbean, we're from Africa, we're from China, and what happens back home is totally different than what is experienced here. Mm-hmm. And they don't know any better. That's all they know, right? Mm-hmm. But if I can share something quickly on the whole O&M, when you said um, working with your O&M and your family said you didn't need a cane. Well, same thing here. My family doesn't understand the cane, but my dad, he's always been the most understanding and the most supportive, even when he, he didn't think I could do things, but he wouldn't, he would never not let me try. He would still let me try. And I remember that, um, my teacher, one of my teachers when I was in school, invited him on an ONM lesson so that he could see how capable I am because he would always grab my arm whenever we had to step down or step up a stair or a curb or something. And then he tried to grab my arm and my teacher said, no, she's fine. She can do it. And he just let me do it and he could see that I could do it. And then he was fine. And it was the same thing when it came to daily living skills for a year, he was saying, no, she can't cook, but I was boiling rice and doing other things <laughs> because he just, he didn't believe that it could be done. He didn't really believe in my capabilities, but he never stopped me from doing it. And eventually it got to the point that instead of saying, no, you can't do that, he would ask, how did I do that? So because of me, he learned a lot of things as well. Beautiful. And I feel like, and we did mention this in the past, I know uh, past episode, just by doing sometimes that's the best way of advocacy. You know, I mean, yeah. that's, that is uh, the best. And another example, and I definitely believe that these gaps in between that culture and uh, sight loss can definitely be filled in. This is not yeah. impossible. You know what I mean? Uh, something that I find very, um, interesting and it's it's common for people who do come abroad where they have sight loss and they see guide dogs and they're like yeah I'm not having that in my home you know (laughs) 
And it's interesting because yeah, this yeah. is a tool that could definitely help you out. But people are like, oh, how could you like not like a guide dog and they can help you? But I think that lack of understanding that culturally, like you have uh, in Ghana, dogs are outside, you know what I mean? Exactly. Not will, inside. They stay outside. <laughs> yeah, dogs will come. If you have a dog inside, oh my gosh, people will be like, wait, what's going on? You know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I find that very interesting because it's that cultural gap and people will have those beliefs, but automatically people are like, how can you not like a guide dog and it's a guide dog and it's this and it's quickly, it's quickly an issue, but I feel like when that education, that gap is filled from both sides, people start to understand, okay, culturally, I know it's not loud inside, but here in Canada or North America or any other countries, it's, it's a tool, it's helpful, right? And then vice versa, that understanding culturally, I understand that you coming from a different country and dogs are seen in a different way, right? Oh, definitely. It's definitely about education and understanding and having perspective. And I think once you have that, people tend to be better and more accepting of someone with the guide dog or someone with the cane and sight loss in general. I think, yeah, we just have to. And I always say to people in the community that there is no better people than to do this than us we can i don't think it's fair for us to depend on the able body or sighted community to always be advocating for us why can't we do it because we know what we need and what we want we are the best people to advocate for ourselves and then that will build on that very well said the more that we are present in these spaces where in the past we have been sheltered from the better it will things will get when it comes to accessibility and inclusion preach preach and know what i'm going to throw on top of that because i'm stealing ideas today <laughs> what it is is people from like we should sit at the table as persons living with disabilities but just diverse people like you know culturally diverse uh any other uh, kind of identities because it shouldn't just be one voice of people with disabilities, right? I agree. Yep. These conversations should be had. So it should be a United Nations of just different identities <laughs> around a table at Kamini's restaurant. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, okay, now you're making people believe I have a restaurant. Yeah, well, I don't. Don't, worry, don't, worry. <laughs> don't worry. At the end of the episode, I'll get you to promote oh, your restaurant. But I'll just, aside, I'm going to go into the final question and I'm going to throw this to you as well, Nisha, uh, in terms of Trinidad. So is there any aspects of Canada when it does come to sight loss that you would like to bring back to Guyana and uh, for you, Nisha, Trinidad? So I'm going to throw it to you first, Nisha, and then... Um, yeah, I would like to see more like accessibility features in and around, you know, in the city, the infrastructure, uh, you know, there are traffic lights. That's like a, a new thing. It feels like in the last maybe 20 or 30 years, there <laughs> yeah. are traffic lights, there are crossing, you know, crosswalks. I would like to see, you know, if possible, the APS or, or some version of it, their version of it um, in Trinidad. Um, 
I think when it comes to roads and sidewalks being leveled with the street, that is probably never going to happen. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a whole country that it's like that. So I would like to see some sort of, you know, training. Well, they probably do this, but I would like to see more of an acceptance of people with sight loss using their cane when navigating these streets. You know, here in Toronto, we have the ambassadors program through CNIB. If more people with sight loss in Trinidad were out and about in the community showing themselves more, there'll be more of an acceptance from the public and the, um, and allowing them to, you know, navigate independently um, on their own. And finally, uh, work programs outside of their, the training programs that they have where they make baskets. I'm wondering if there are other training programs out there to get people with sight loss more involved in careers that they're really interested in and they want to thrive in. So I'm not sure if they are and if, if there is, that's great. But um, um, that's what I would want to take to Trinidad. All right. I definitely do agree with um, with all of what Nisha's saying. Yeah, we. I don't really think it's realistic to expect them to change the roads and all that, but having um, at least street lights or um, a walkway for people to cross would definitely help. That way there's somewhere that's designated for crossing and it'll make things at least a little bit safer. But yeah, in, in order to um, have um, all these uh, <clears throat> other programs, I think um, she said more um, people with sight loss needs to be out there, but in order for them to go out there and show themselves and talk, they need to be encouraged because I know for me, I was, I grew up being very discouraged by my family to do anything. And it really can take a toll on you in a very negative way. So a little encouragement goes a long way. I think if people can be more open-minded and encourage people to go out there and take part in life and include them in life and have them do things that would really help. And of course, the education system is a huge thing. Um, even if they had even one teacher in one area trained per school, even that would help to be able to work with people with uh, vision loss. So I feel that um, there's a lot of conversations, advocacy and training that needs to be done in order for people to be able to have any kind of life there, let alone an independent life, whether it's um, having some sort of education uh, by going to school and being able to work and have a job after that and support yourself and contribute to your family and whatever else you um, aspire to do with your life. You know what? I say we throw myself out of this podcast. We get you the best of <laughs> Such, no, no, beautiful words. <laughs> well, what about you, Ben? What would you take yeah. back to, to? I was gonna say Guyana. <laughs> <laughs> what did I say, Nisha? The what did I say? Sorry, I get the same thing too. People uh, are like Ghana, no, 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 Guyana and Ghana. Ghana. <laughs> mm, uh, yeah, so definitely you you both hit the nail on the head. Uh Something that was really telling from community when you did mention how they brought people from outside the country. And I believe that's 
the approach where people do where they bring people outside the country, but I feel like they should utilize those professionals as consultation instead of like taking on, okay, we're going to bring you from Canada and you're going to teach, right? Because I feel like there's a chance where the culture will be lost, right? Like I'm going to teach it in the North American way. Forget Mm -hmm. the way, uh, you have learned all these years. So I think it's very important to educate within the communities. Uh, Definitely normalizing site loss, right? Like you said, Kamini, infrastructure is not gonna change overnight, Mm -hmm. never. Like even we'll be lucky if infrastructure would change in like 10 years, right? But I think even not just giving up on the individuals with disabilities, right? And not getting them to hide it. And the one thing I really love about uh, the cane, as much as uh, everybody, oh, the cane, it's it's universal. So people still do know about the cane. So just education, uh, I feel like even as my responsibility too, is to to give back to, to that community. So yeah, that's pretty much what I would uh, take back for sure. Yeah, and definitely, uh, like I said, after after that, I would head to Kamini's restaurant, oh kick back my feet, <laughs> <laughs> and know that I did a hard, hard day of work for sure. So Better start uh, cooking. <laughs> <laughs> with that said, any last comments for you, Kamini? We're running out of time. I, I don't want it to be running out of time because we just had such a great conversation with you so any last words anything you would like to uh let the listeners know about like living abroad or just anything um uh, well I just really really want to thank you for this opportunity because I think conversations are great so one of the biggest ways that we can bring about change by talking about it and having these conversations and I look forward to having more conversation like this but Um, As I said, I guess my biggest thing is um, encouragement, because I know I had a lot of outside encouragement from my teachers and anyone who worked with me. And I think that's what kind of brought me to where I am now. So I think everybody needs a little encouragement. And if you see someone that's struggling, try to talk to them and try to give them a little encouragement. And you'll see how happy and how much of a difference it'll make to them and yeah thank thank you guys again thank you both for having me on it's been great i like having conversations <laughs> you are definitely a shining star for sure uh Kamini. so thank you yeah thank you like I guess this is the end. Thank you, everybody, for listening to The Lens. Before we let you go, Nisha, what do you want to tell the, the, the listeners? Well, I want to tell the listeners, if you have any topic suggestions, guest suggestions, ideas, feedback, any you know thing you want to share with us about what you're hearing on today's episode or previous episodes, please send us an email at advocacy at cnib.ca. Excellent. I couldn't say that any better myself. So thank you, everybody, for listening. I was one of your hosts, Ben. I'm your co-host, Nisha. Peace. Bye.